is when I need to, I need courage. <laughs> because this morning, we're going to be sharing from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. And the theme is, is sexual purity. And uh, anytime I have to talk about sex, it requires, you know, extra courage on my part. I, I grew up in an age, you know, in an era where it's just not comfortable, uh, in spite of all the, you know, how comfortable it is on TV. Um, it's interesting, there are, there are some, a, a number of similarities between uh, the situation in Corinth and, and the situation in kind of the modern world today. And one of the areas where there is, is a great deal of similarity was in their understanding and kind of the, the atmosphere and environment that was so sexually charged in the days of the Corinthians, very, very similar to modern days and modern times. And so let me read as, the, uh, as Paul instructs the Corinthian believers to walk in moral purity and sexual purity. And this is what he writes. I'm going to read actually starting in verse 9. Don't you know that those who do wrong will have no share in the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who are idol worshippers, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusers, and swindlers, none of these will have a share in the kingdom of God. There was a time when some of you were just like that, but now your sins have been washed away and you have been set apart for God. You have been made right with God because of what the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God have done for you. You may say, I'm allowed to do anything I want. But I reply, not everything is good for you. And even though you can say, I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But our bodies were not made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Um, In Corinth, just to kind of bring a parallel um, between our world and Corinth, you need to understand that in Corinth was the home of the temple of Aphrodite, and Aphrodite, of course, was the god, goddess of love. And uh, on the mountain that sat above Corinth, there, were, there sat this temple, and every night, 1,000 temple prostitutes would, would hike down the hill into the city of Corinth and roam through the streets, inviting people to worship. Okay? And part of worship involved sleeping with these prostitutes. Okay? It tended to make people very religious. You know, guys were going, you know, dear, I, oh, I forgot I have church tonight. You know, guys were going to church a lot. Wives not so much, but the guys were very faithful at church. And, uh, you know, pretty much every night. Um, And because of that, uh, and because uh, there was also another temple um, that was known for its homosexual activity, a different god, uh, because of that, it was a very sexually charged city. It was a place where free sex and very immoral sex and immoral behavior was just part of everyday life. And uh, it was very easily attainable and accessible. And, you know, I mean, how can you argue when it's spiritual as well? Okay, the perfect excuse for immorality. Well, uh, for Christians living in that day when they came to Christ, of course, getting out of that bondage was very difficult. And for many 
uh, believers throughout the Greek world, it was a huge struggle to, to, to break free of that and uh, to really walk in a new kind of life in purity in Christ. Um, it's interesting, you know, our world in, in, in many ways is not much different. Of course, we don't have a temple and we may not be quite as religious, but it is nonetheless as pervasive as part of our culture. It is everywhere. And TVs, movies are saturated with sex. And uh, most, you know, most of it, 90, I would say 95% of it, is, is sex outside of the context of a marriage relationship. It's premarital sex, it's extramarital sex, it's whatever. It's, it's, it's not as God described it in Scripture. It is everywhere. Uh, I looked on one web page, just on one web page alone, there were, I counted, nine or ten sexually loaded messages or pictures, just on one web page. And that was just the news. Okay, Fox News. Okay, we're not talking you know, the news. There's nine sexually charged messages or stories or, you know, because it is everywhere. Um, in the modern world, sex is used to sell everything from cars to cell phones, everything you can imagine. It's interesting, in, in the day in Corinth, they used really sex to promote and sell idolatry. It kind of makes you wonder what our modern-day idols are if we use sex to sell cars and cell phones and stereos. You know, what is it we worship? Well, maybe it's the God of materialism. At the very least, uh, sex sells stuff well. You, know, you just don't see a car ad with like a big chocolate cake on top, you know. <laughs> That's got some like really sexy girl there, you know, because people like chocolate cake. They're not going to buy the car because of chocolate cake, but apparently they will because of some half-dressed girl. I don't quite get the connection, but it works apparently. Um, you know, you go to a restaurant or go to airport plaza to the food court, and they got they got people selling beer there, and it's not some fat guy with a slobby, junky T-shirt on, picking his nose, right? Going, you want a beer? What is it? It's this very thin, beautiful girl with a, you know, a, a skirt that could double as a belt. Okay, very short. All right, because it sells stuff. Um, and in all these avenues, in all these ways, the message of society over and over and over and over and over again, over again is that sex is okay, sex is good, sex is a normal part of life, and you Christians are just boring and dull and stupid for passing up on what should be a part of enjoying life. Um, it's an important part, you know, they would tell us, you know, God created it, and you Christians don't even take advantage of it. What's wrong with you people? Don't you know what God's done for you? Well, the Bible does say to flee sexual temptation. In fact, later in this passage, we won't get that far. We're going to do this in two parts because there's so many good principles here I want to cover today. Um, the Bible says to flee sexual immorality, immorality, that we are to reserve sex for the context of a marriage relationship. Okay? And God's very clear. The Bible's very clear about that. Uh, sex is for a husband and wife in a married relationship. Um, but the question is, aside from the fact the Bible tells us, what are the good reasons? Okay? What are some good reasons why sex should be guarded within this context of marriage? Um, and we get the idea, I think, sometimes that God just throws out these random uh, commands and they're kind of arbitrary and pointless. Okay? Now I'm going to ask, and, and a lot of this this morning I want to really direct towards high schools, 
young, young singles, because this is an issue that you probably will face and are facing and are dealing with. Uh, let me ask you, what are some good reasons why you should not have sex before marriage? God says so. <laughs> Any other good reasons? Avoid disease. Yeah, you don't want to get AIDS or some other sexually transmitted disease. Keeping the what? <laughs> Keeping the fun for marriage. That's not a good reason, Stefan. <laughs> can't, can't, why can't everybody have fun? Okay. What? Care for children? Oh, because you don't want kids. You don't want kids before you're married. Unwanted pregnancies. Yeah, if you, you know, if you're not married and you have sex, you could have a kid. So unwanted pregnancies, yeah. Okay, the Bible says the two shall become one. It's interesting, as you think about these answers, uh, really the only one in Scripture would be, would be the two become one. God does not say don't have sex because you could get a disease. Interesting, that's not in the scriptures. He doesn't even say don't have sex because you could actually have a child. That's actually not part of the biblical injunction. Uh, I want to look today at 1 Corinthians at why God, the reasons why sex works best in marriage and why God has put so many fences and boundaries around this part of our life. Uh, I really believe that as a church, as a whole, we've done a terrible job telling high school students why this is important. You know, we tell them, don't do it. You know, don't do it. It's, it's wrong. Uh, but we haven't really explained biblically why. And so I want to do that this morning. It'll begin, it will take this Sunday and next to go through this passage in 1 Corinthians to give some good biblical reasons. And it doesn't have anything to do with disease or unwed mothers or unwanted pregnancies. Um, But there are some very, very important reasons why God created this sexual um, order in the universe. And let's look at it this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, from chapter 6, verse 12. And the first thing he says, we're not going to get very far today, only a couple of verses. He says, and, and, and uh, it's apparent that he's quoting back to the Corinthians some of their slogans. And the reality is that all of, you know, in our world today, people are sexually active and they have slogans to justify it. We're very good at justifying ourselves. And it's very likely that the Corinthians were actually using Paul's own words to justify their immoral behavior. And Paul, as you know, had worked very hard to teach that we're not saved by keeping the law. And so Paul probably said things like, all things are lawful for me. You know, we don't have to worry about what food we eat anymore. We don't have to worry about washing ourselves in a certain way. Paul probably told the Corinthians, you know, we're not under the law anymore. Well, they took that slogan and and printed it on T-shirts. And it was like, I can have sex because all things are lawful for me. And Paul's going, ay, ay, ay. Okay, you guys are missing the point here. So he quotes back to them, they're saying, the slogan, he says, you can say, I'm allowed to do anything. But let me tell you that uh, everything has, you know, everything has warning labels. Everything has operator instructions. And if you don't follow the directions, anything can be misused and can be actually dangerous. 
anything can be harmful if we don't read the warning labels. Everything has been designed to be used within a certain context and set of rules. And if we don't use it according to those rules, it's dangerous. And it can be harmful. And he talks about two things. First, he says misusing something, misusing anything really, can be stupid. Okay, and I, you, know, you hear these stories all the time of people misusing products, right? And basically, Paul says here, yeah, you can, you know, you can have sex, but that doesn't mean it's smart. Okay, sometimes if you misuse it and use it outside of its intended purpose, it's just stupid. Okay, that's my own translation, by the way. Um, just because you can do it doesn't mean it's smart. There's a great slogan. People say this all the time. It's, it's a battle cry in our world. You know, it's my body. I can do whatever I want with it. It's my right to do with my body whatever I want. Well, that's true. It is your body. But I'll tell you, hurtling your body into a brick wall, even though it's your body, is not smart. It will cause pain and hurt, okay? Um, you know, you could say, playing rugby is not smart, right? Because it hurts. Um, maybe you could say it for football. At least they wear a helmet, I guess. I don't know. Um, and likewise, he says, the bottom line is, practically speaking, having sex anywhere, anytime, without some limit, is not smart. Because you have to follow the manufacturer's guidelines. For example, you know, the, when you buy products, it's got this, it's, you know, on the front page of the instruction book, it has warnings. Okay, do you ever read the warnings? Well, of course not, because it's boring and dumb. But it's really kind of interesting sometimes. Like, if you get a hair dryer, uh, it says, warning. Do not use in the shower. Okay, now there's a reason for that because it will kill you if you use it in the shower. Of course, most people are smart enough to know that so they don't have to read the instructions. Uh, but it's important that we use it appropriately or it will hurt you. Does it mean a hairdryer is evil? Well, no. It just means you've got to be smart enough to use it appropriately. Uh, you know, cars, I don't know why they do this. Uh, Cars have speedometers that go up to some ridiculous speeds, you know, 210 kilometers an hour. But just because it says it'll go 210 kilometers, you know, most of the cars I've ever owned wouldn't go that fast. It's just good sales pitch, I guess. But just because the speedometer says it'll go that fast does not mean you should drive that fast, okay? It's not like, you know, Thailand with sound systems. If it's 1,000 watts, you've got to use all 1,000 watts, otherwise you're not getting your money's worth, right? Well... You know, some people kind of have that approach to a car. It says 200 kilometers an hour. I've got to go 200 kilometers an hour. Okay, well, that would not be a smart, appropriate use of a vehicle. And sadly, I've been in too many car accidents where people uh, drove way too fast and oftentimes at the expense of their own lives. It can kill you. It can seriously damage your car. It can cause lots of problems. Uh, you can go on down tons of products. They all have clear guidelines to explain the appropriate use of that object. And if you use it inappropriately, it can harm you or kill you or destroy the product. The same thing is true in the context of sex. You've got to use it according to the manufacturer's suggestions, guidelines, laws. God does not put these rules in place because he's a cosmic killjoy. He does it to protect both it and ourselves and other people. And we'll talk about this more as we go through this passage later. Second thing he says, he says you know, um, part two, he says, you know, we can do everything. Paul says, yeah, but not everything is smart. 
They say, well, we can do everything. Paul says, yeah, but uh, we shouldn't let anything master us. We shouldn't let anything control our life. Uh, you can use the same analogy. Um, all kinds of drugs have drug warnings. They have labels that tell you uh, if you misuse this drug, it can be habit-forming. It can be addicting. In fact, that's why certain drugs in, in most countries are given by prescription only. Okay, it's great in Thailand you can just go and ask for it and they give it to you. But in most countries they have protections because of the danger of these drugs become addicting. And what could be good for you, what could bring health and healing, can become very addictive if it's misused and not supervised well and not used within certain boundaries or parameters. Um, an addiction always makes you a slave. When you are addicted to something, you are giving up your freedom and you're putting yourself under the control and mastery of that thing that addicts you. Okay, it owns you. Okay, people say, well, I'm free to do whatever I want. I, I'm free to take drugs. Well, if you take that freedom and you buy meth and you start you know, getting addicted to crack or whatever, you've given up your freedom and you've become a slave to that substance and that addiction and it owns you. And uh, we see this over and over. People going to their grave in bondage to this drug. Well, the same thing is true for sex. Sex is addicting. God designed it that way. And it's part of how he created it. And that's why we must be very careful to read the warning label. If we misuse it, we will find ourselves caught in a sexual addiction. And there are thousands of people around the world, millions of people around the world, really, that are trapped and caught in sexual addictions. And there are uh, support groups and all kinds of counseling programs to help people who have, who have been trapped and have realized that their life is in bondage. And they are a slave to things that no longer satisfy or bring them pleasure or enjoyment. Um, uh, I saw this personally with a, a friend who I went to high school with. He had been a, involved in a, uh, a ministry that I was involved with, went to church, claimed to be a Christian. But not long after he graduated from high school, he started sleeping with this prostitute. Well, he, confused guy that he was, thought that this had something to do with love. And he really became very addicted to this girl. But her constant message was, to him was simply, you know, no money, no honey. Okay, if you want love from me, you pay for it. And this guy uh, ended up living on the streets, homeless, destitute, poor, miserable, trying to squeak enough money out to, to sleep with this girl, who did not love him, could care less about him, but he was addicted to this girl. I never found out what happened to him. Probably know he died. Just a miserable young man, uh, trapped and enslaved, uh, not by love, not by anything good, but by this twisted, sick relationship really becoming a puppet in the hands of another human being who used him for her own gain. Um, okay, so, so that's Paul's introduction. Now you say, well, okay, well, that may be true, but you still haven't really explained why it's bad. Okay, you're right, I haven't. So let's go on to the next point. Paul says this, he says, again, quoting the Corinthians, one of their slogans, this is one of the ways they justified their immoral lifestyles. They would say, food is for the stomach and stomach is for food. Okay, and the way they would use that was like this. It's like, well, you know, the food's for stomach, stomach's for food, the body's for sex, you know. 
It feels good. It's there. It's just a natural thing, right? And uh, that was kind of their slogan. God made us this way, and so, you know, what the heck? Why not? Why not partake? And Paul says, well, first of all, um, you know, the body may be food and the food may be for the body, but it's not going to be that way forever. Okay, God's going to do away with those basic appetites. But then he goes on to say something much more significant. He says this. He says, you know, you can say that maybe about food, but you cannot say that about your bodies because your bodies were not made for sexual immorality. Your bodies were not made for sexual impurity. They were made for God. And this really, um, this really comes to the heart of it. Uh, our bodies ultimately were not made for sex. And this is kind of a shocking news to some people. Uh, and in our world today, uh, most people you were to tell that to, they would just stand horrified. What do you mean? Okay? Because everything in our world tells us that that's exactly and the ultimate thing that we were made for. That kind of, you know, what life is about is somehow sexual fulfillment. And that is the huge message of the world today. Well, where does that message come from? Well, it really comes from uh, the wrong idea about our body. Interesting thing, the, Corinth, the Corinthians really were caught in much the same trap in that they misunderstood the role and function of the body. Now, they, they did it for a different reason. In Greek thinking, they really believed in, in a, a dualism. They believed that the physical world, and especially our bodies, were all of the evil side. And that the soul and the spirit, the spiritual realm, were of the good side. And that the goal of life was, was ultimately to escape the body and escape all that was evil and material and experience the freedom of life and the spirit and the soul, the immaterial world. And so their, their thinking was, well, you know, the, the body's bad, it's evil, it's something we have to just escape from anyway. And so what difference does it make what I do with my body? It's doomed, it's evil, it's just, it's just junk, right? And uh, it's really separate from and apart from the spirit and the soul. Because well, we don't really believe in, in dualism like that anymore. Uh, but we do have the wrong idea in the modern world about our body. Uh, most of our thinking about our body has been shaped by science and evolution. And sadly, a lot of this kind of thinking has very much infiltrated the thinking of Christians. And we've come to believe that our body is nothing more than biology and chemistry. And every day people will tell us that all of our problems, all of our mental disorders, all of our addictions are nothing more than phys physiology, than bad chemistry. Uh, that that's really all we are about. And that our sexual drives are a little more than hormones and chemistry. And everybody knows that when you put certain chemicals together, there's a reaction. And so it's argued, you know, you put a boy and a girl together, there's gonna be, and there's a chemical reaction, you know, sex is what happens and it can't be stopped, right? It's just the way it is. Well, is that true? Is that really all that there is to the body? Um, have, have we bought this idea that the spiritual life of the Christian is somehow out of and beyond our body? The reality is I think we have greatly underestimated and misunderstood the important role of our body 
in our spiritual life. Uh, what is your what is the place of your body in your walk and communion with God? My guess is that most of us have this notion that to really commune with God, to really be spiritual, to really experience God, we have to somehow separate ourselves from our body and get like deep into our spirit. That worshiping God is very much a heart thing that is somehow separate from our physical body. But that's an error that is not biblical or true. In fact, it's something that really comes from science and evolution that puts the physical world on one plane and the spiritual world on a completely different level. But Paul brings us back to reality with this simple thing. He says, your body was not made for sex. Your body was ultimately made for God. Now, he doesn't say your heart or your soul or your person. He says here specifically, your body, your fleshly human body was made for God. What does he mean by that? Well, I want to look at that and think about that for a minute because it's, it's at the heart of what, what's, what's wrong with sex outside of marriage. Um, it's clear that we were not made just for sex. Okay? Uh, evolutionists and science say that, that the human existence is about survival and procreation. God has a much higher view of what it means to be human. Okay? It may be true of your dog that its goal in life is to eat and reproduce. You are more than your dog, okay? In God's eyes. He specifically created you for himself. What does that mean? And not just your soul or your spirit, but he created this body that you live in, okay? The, The face that you look at in the mirror, God created and designed it, as an instrument and a vehicle for your relationship with him. What does that mean? Well, let's just think about some some scriptures. Uh, What is the role of our body in connecting and relating with God? Well, we need our body for worship and communion. And it was great. Matt picked some great songs this morning about worship. And almost every one of those songs it talks about the role of our body in worshiping God, lifting up our hands, standing in awe of Him, uh, singing with our mouth. The psalmist puts it this way, Shout to the Lord, all the earth, break out in praise and sing for joy. Okay, when was the last time you did those things without a body? Well, you can't. You've got to have a mouth to do that. Psalms 84 says this, Yes, I long... I faint with longing to enter the courts of the the Lord. With my whole being, body, and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. That's really hard to do without a body. You know, I've I've been disbodied lately, so I don't know, I haven't tried it. But shouting to the God requires the apparatus of our mouth and our lungs and our vocal cords. Psalms 123 says this, I lift my eyes to you, O God, enthroned in heaven. We keep looking to the Lord our God for his mercy, just as his servants keep their eyes on their masters, as a slave girl watches her mistress for the slightest signal. Um, With our eyes we read his word and we see the beauty of all that he has created. 
with our ears we listen to those who teach and we listen to beautiful music and we hear things that lift us up to his presence. We do lift our hands in worship. We kneel before him in prayer. Psalms 47 says this, Come everyone, clap your hands. Shout to God with joyful praise. Psalms 149 says, Praise his name with dancing, accompanied by tambourine and harp. Requires hands. For the Lord delights in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let the faithful rejoice that he honors them. Let them sing for joy as they lie on their beds. Isn't that great? Even sleeping, even lying on our beds can be a place where we worship God as we think about him. Let the praise of God be in their mouths and a sharp sword in their hands. Um, Worship requires a body. Okay, worship is a bodily activity. It's something that we, God has designed to incorporate our body. It's interesting, in the very next verse, we'll look at this next week, uh, he reminds the Corinthians that their bodies will be raised to new life in the end. For all of eternity, God decided that it would require our bodies to worship him. So our bodies are very much an agent and instrument of worship. And we cannot really worship God fully or completely apart from this physical body. Now, thankfully, in heaven, we get a a better version of it. You know, we get kind of the remade version. And uh, it won't get sick. It won't need knee surgery. And it will look much better. (laughs) I'm hoping. (laughs) Anyway. um, We receive God's grace. So, So worship involves body. We largely receive God's grace and experience him in our body. Think about this, of all the miracles that Jesus did, how many of them were physical and bodily? Virtually all of them. He gave sight to the blind. He made the crippled walk. He restored the skin of the leper. He fed the 5,000. You could say, well, what about uh, demon possession? It's true he cast demons out, which could be viewed as a more spiritual thing. But the reality is, how did they know those people were demon-possessed? Well, because the demons were tormenting their bodies, throwing them into the fire, foaming at the mouth, biting people, okay, being crazy, physical. And God took that evil spirit out and brought peace to their bodies. You see, we experience God's grace largely through this body. Now, thankfully, he gives forgiveness and grace at a very deep spiritual level. But, you know, if that was the extent of God's grace in my life, I probably wouldn't get it quite honestly. I probably wouldn't understand it. But God gives us food and he provides for our needs and he brings protection and safety and he provides help and he restores us. Uh, The reality is uh, if we were to lose even one part of our body, how would it affect our life? Uh, This past week I was sick and I had a sore throat and I felt, felt like crud and I had a fever and I didn't get much done. I was not very effective because we use our body in service to him. We receive grace from him, but we also serve him through our bodies. With our mouths, uh, as Sai as read, with our mouths we proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Uh, with our hands we serve each other. Um, you know, it's great. I come up here and, and Sai puts his arm around me and he gives me you know, a good solid hug. And it's in that connection of body to body, person to person, that we fellowship. 
Imagine what church dinners would be like without a body. Just a bunch of spirits floating around the room. You know, it would be kind of weird. Uh, we need skin and flesh and blood to communicate and, react and interact with each other. And these bodies are a huge part of relationship and the fellowship that God calls us to in the body of Christ. You see, all these things tell us that our bodies are agents of God. God created us and very much our spiritual walk requires this flesh and blood. So, the point is this. You know, our, our body isn't over here and somehow our spiritual life is over here. It is a package deal. You know, we're all wrapped up in this whole body together. Heart and soul and spirit and mind and feelings and emotions and will reside in this physical body. And it is in the context of this physical body that we know God and experience His grace and serve Him. Um, We were made ultimately for God. Uh, it's interesting, even the, the, the main sacraments of the church, the ways that we uh, remember uh, our faith, are done physically. You know, in just a little bit, we're going to take communion, a uh, powerful symbol of God's grace, the most significant reminder of redemption, of his price that he paid on the cross for us. And we do it by eating and drinking. And it's interesting, in our day, we've reduced this, this tradition to almost being not even physical. You know, we get the smallest tiny cracker and this little thimble of juice so that we barely taste it or drink it. But that was not God's original designer plan. His plan was for a meal. And that's seen in the Old Testament where they had piles of food. And they celebrated God with this assault on their senses of drink and food and smells and tastes and flavors feeling themselves up, enjoying this meal in communion with God. Uh, when we come to Christ, we mark that by water baptism, where we are physically plunged beneath the water. So those are all things that are bodily and physical. Um, So we've got to see that the ultimate design for our body, the reason God created us in human form, was not so that we could reach the pinnacle of life, which is to have sex. Okay, that is not the pinnacle of life and existence. Whatever the world may tell you, that's not the end. And the, the thing is this, the world wants to tell you that as Christians, Christian high school students, that you're missing out on something that the greatest thing in life is sex and that if you haven't experienced it, you haven't really lived. God's saying to the world, no, you're missing it. Because there is something infinitely greater that you were created and designed for. That sex only touches the, the lowest levels of. You were created to enter into a relationship with the living God of the universe and to experience him in this physical body. He's not saying that we, you know, sex is up here and as Christians we can only get halfway there. He's saying quite the opposite, that God is up here and for those who, who the greatest plane of their life is physical pleasure, they're infinitely short of what God really designed us for, of God's greatest joy and satisfaction and delight that this body was made for. We find our fulfillment and purpose in life ultimately, in doing what we were created for. Everything that's made 
finds its greatest delight and joy in what it's made for. I used to have uh, a couple different Labrador retrievers. Uh, labs were made to retrieve. I mean, they were bred and born to fetch stuff. And, uh, you know, our dogs were never happier than we were throwing sticks out into the lake or balls or whatever that it could go chase and bring back to us. And they had no idea why it did that, you know. You didn't have to teach it. You just pick something up and throw it, and they would just go after it. They didn't even know why. They just, it's their instinct. And then their tail would wag, and they would be happy, and they would be in heaven, in paradise, because they were doing what they were made for. Uh, it was with, now I had some other dogs that were not retrievers, and you'd throw a stick, and they just kind of stare at you like, wow, good arm, you know? Good throw, well done. And they just didn't get it, because it's not what they, it wasn't bred into them. But for those that were bred to retrieve, it's their greatest joy. Uh, likewise, you see a dolphin gliding through the ocean, jumping up in the air, and, and, and you just see these, these, they look happy. They have to take the dolphin out of the water and put it in one of those canvas things where they have to transport him. It looks depressed, right? Why? Because it was made for water. It was made to glide through the water. It's what God designed it to do. And when it's doing that, it's in its fullness of joy and delight. And the reality is that we will find the fullness of joy and delight when we are fulfilling what God has designed for us we will come to the place of greatest satisfaction when we have really come to the fullness of experiencing life in Christ as he has designed and created us. Um, It is a joy and delight to know God and to experience him fully, not only in our spirit and our soul, but in our whole being. And that is God's desire for us. And one of the reasons that Paul says you know, the reason sex is a problem is that it, it stops you short from fully experiencing what God wants that's even greater. So it's not that God doesn't want us to enjoy sexual pleasure or any other pleasure for that matter. It's not that God's desire is to, for us to be, you know, ascetics who live in a cave and have, you know, wool underwear and freeze to death all the time and eat, you know, bread and water that somehow in that we'll be happy. That's not what God wants. God wants for us to enjoy life completely. But we can never enjoy life completely until we enjoy it first and foremost in that thing that we were created for. And that is to worship and love and know Him. It has to start there. And that's why Paul says, look, you were not made for sex, you were made for God. But then he says something else even, uh, to me, even more astounding. So the body is, is for God. But then he continues with these words, he says, and God is for the body. Now, of course, God was not created. And uh, God, we know, does not need us. What does he mean when he says that God is for the body? What does he mean by that? Well, I believe he means this. He means that, that God is the answer for everything that we ultimately desire. Uh, God created us with an empty space in our life, a God-shaped vacuum, people call it. God created us needing something, longing for something, hungering for something. 
And the sad thing is that the world has gotten confused and, think, and it has come to think that the thing it hungers and longs for is sex, or romance, or money, or things. But, but he says that ultimately what we long for, what will ultimately satisfy us only, is God himself. God is that thing, that, that only thing, that only being, that can ultimately satisfy our deepest longings and desires. The, the, the truth is, God knows how to meet our needs. Not only spiritually, but also physically. Part of our problem is we have such a low view of our body that we assume God has the same view and that God really is not interested in us physically. That he really doesn't care about our physical needs because they're not spiritual enough. And we think, you know, if I, if I gave my whole life to God and really pursued him and to say, okay, God, I'm going to find all my satisfaction and delight in you, that God is going to totally neglect our physical needs. That he's going to make us be single and celibate our whole life and, you know, we'll miss out. But I want you to go back to how God created us and what God made for us in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 2. When God created Adam and Eve, he was very careful and very concerned about their physical lives. It says in 2.8, he says this, Then the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and he placed the man uh, he had created there. And the Lord planted all sorts of trees in the garden, beautiful trees that produced delicious fruit. I love that. It's a beautiful place. It was a place that appealed to the eyes with good-tasting fruit. Thankfully, God didn't put only durian in the garden. Okay? He actually put good fruit in the garden as well. I know some of you like durian and, you know, I'm, I'm impressed with you. You're my heroes. Um, on, on further, it says that he placed the man in the garden to care for it. Be given this warning, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if you eat it, you will surely die. And then he said, it's not good for man to be alone, so I will make a companion for him. And so he brought all the animals. You know, Adam was going, you know, I'm just throwing that into donkeys. Is there anything better? And God says, okay. He took a rib from his side and he made Eve. And he brought Eve and Adam said, at last, she is part of my own flesh and bone. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united as one. And now, although Adam and his wife were both naked, neither of them felt any shame. Okay, get this. God made this beautiful garden full of beautiful things, full of good-tasting food. He put Adam in there with a naked woman. God loves this stuff. Okay? God is interested and concerned about our needs physically. God is not the one that messed it up. Adam and Eve were. Adam and Eve were the ones because of sin who brought shame upon themselves and covered, up them, covered themselves up and distanced themselves from God and ultimately from each other. See, God wants to elevate sex to a place where it is better and more beautiful and more enjoyable than anything this world can imagine. God knows how to meet our physical needs and he's very 
concerned about them. Um, He is for the body. He wants to supply every need and satisfy our deepest longings, but he wants to do it first and foremost in himself. And then as we come to enjoy and find satisfaction in God, we find joy in other things even more so. You know, he put in us the appreciation of beauty. You know, we get up in the morning and we look around and we see beautiful flowers and beautiful trees and a beautiful sunrise and it stirs our heart and our soul because God made us that way. Now, he didn't have to make us this way. He could have made us like dogs. You know, a dog walks by a beautiful flower and is not impressed. Okay, a dog walks by a pile of cow manure, it gets very excited. Our dogs, in addition to chasing stuff, I don't know what it is about labs, if other dogs do this, but they love to roll in cow manure. And they come home and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like really old cow manure was even better. Okay, aren't you glad God didn't make us like that? That God gave us a heart for beautiful things and not stinky things. God did that because he ultimately wants us to find joy in the most beautiful thing in the universe. We sang about this morning. Beautiful is God. Beautiful beyond description. And he put that desire for beauty in us so that we would be drawn to the beauty of him. So we would find joy and delight in him first. And then everything in the world would become a thousand times more beautiful and enjoyable. Um, He created a body that could experience delight and love and affection and beauty and music and all these wonderful things because he wants to fill us with those things. And he wants to satisfy us with those things. That's why Paul said, God is for the body. God is the thing that alone can bring ultimate delight and joy and satisfaction to our life. But the deal is this. You know, Adam and Eve, the garden worked as long as God was God. As long as God could come and they could walk with God in the garden and worship and adore Him above everything else, the garden worked. But when sin came, what happened? Well, they hid from God. And God was no longer the most important thing in the garden. They were. And they became aware of themselves and their own needs and they felt all naked and ashamed and they covered themselves up and they hid. And now, no longer were they able to enjoy the beauty of the garden and God kicked them out. To put it in modern day language, you know, Valentine's Day is coming up and uh, we're having this great Valentine's banquet. Tickets are 500 baht per couple. This is our ad. Uh, February 16th. Don't miss out. It's going to be fun. And uh, hopefully you have a date. <laughs> um, and, you know, part of expressing our love to our loved one is knowing what they want. And, you know, for us husbands, it's, a, it's, a, it's an annual struggle to buy ourselves, our wives, the right thing. Because we know if we buy the right thing, it's like a home run. You know, it's like your wife goes, oh, you, 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 you understand me. And that means I know you love me. So if your wife likes chocolate, you know that she likes chocolate, and you get the right, you know, dark chocolate, not, not, without the right, wrong kind of nuts and everything, you get all lined up right, and you give it to her, and she goes, oh, you love me. Now, wouldn't it be weird if the reason she really married you was just for the chocolate? And when she got the chocolate, she just took the box, went up in the corner, and ignored you, and just wolfed down the chocolate. I said, okay, I'm done with you till next Valentine's. Go away. Now, how would you feel? 
and be like, well, you know, this is not how it's supposed to work. Well, that's kind of what we do with God. God wants to give us these things to demonstrate His love for us. He wants to fill, fulfill our needs and desires and our wants and our wishes. He gave that stuff to Adam and Eve and He wants to give those wonderful things to us to say, this is my heart for you because I love you that much. And I know you. And I know what you need. And I know what you desire. And I can fulfill your needs better than you can. Better than you can imagine. But what if we just took all of his gifts and said, well, God, thanks. Okay, you can leave now. We've got the chocolate. You see, that's, that's the problem. God wants to, and he has blessed us with this thing called sex and with many other gifts. But the problem is that if those things become more important than God, and we substitute those things as the things that will bring ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction in life, and we tell God, okay, God, we're as happy as we need to be, you go away. Then we've turned the universe upside down, and it doesn't work. And the sad thing is, for the girl who would settle only for the chocolate, and not for the lover, is a foolish girl who is ultimately doomed herself to a loveless life. Well, that's exactly what we've done when we've taken his gifts and thrown him away. We have doomed ourselves to, you know, a life without the romance of God, without the heart and compassion of God. And God doesn't want that. He wants the love and the romance and the joining with him first. And when we get that in order, we can, we can enjoy everything else. Uh, Augustine said, love God first and everything else for his sake. Love God first and everything else for his sake. When we can put our life in that order, I'll tell you, everything is good. So, and if you're smart and if you're you know, a devious high school student, this is what you'll be thinking. So you're telling me that if I, if I put God first, that he's going to absolutely you know, give me the hottest wife in the world and you know, I'm guaranteed great sex. Well, no. You know, sadly, it doesn't always work that way. But the cool thing is this, that God will meet your needs far greater than you can imagine. And when we've, when we've found ultimate satisfaction in him, we will not miss so much the things that may or may not come into our life because we found ultimate satisfaction in Him. But when we turn it around the other way, what we do is we take this thing that God has made beautiful and we turn it into trash. If you don't believe that's true, just think about this. Uh, on every movie, you know, they make love and romance and especially sex look so appealing and they make it look so easy, and they make it look like the, the most wonderful thing that brings ultimate happiness and fulfillment to the actor, right? To the character, right? And, you know, once they finally got the love of their life and have had this great encounter, they found happiness. But you've got to remember something. Remember, first of all, that it's scripted. It's a story. And it's not real. It's make-believe. If you want reality... Look at the real life of the actor who played that part. Okay? You know, the guy who's been divorced ten times, and even though he's married to one of the most beautiful girls in the universe, uh, 
he hates her, and, and they're not having sex. And when they are, it's probably, you know, pretty, pretty you know, like war or something, you know. And it's not good. And it's not beautiful. And their lives are a wreck. Are they happy people? Sadly, most of them know. In real life, it doesn't work out like it does in the movie script. But in God's order, it can work out that way and even better. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we pray that you would help us to really revise our theology, our understanding of, of the importance of our body, our physical body, in our walk and relationship with you, and its role in part in, in our spiritual existence. And Father, to understand why using this body in ways that that dishonor you, uh, prevent us from really fulfilling its, its highest purpose and call. And Lord, I pray you'd help us most of all to realize that, that the pleasure of sex and, and all the pleasures of the world, whether it's food or fun, are good things, but they're, they pale in comparison to what you want to give us in yourself. The greatest joy in life is not, is not the things we can experience in this world, but the God that we can experience that's beyond this world and who meets us here in this world in so many amazing ways. Father, the reality is we have failed, um, we have failed to, to, to understand what it means to find our joy and delight in you. Lord, I pray that you would teach us what that means. uh, To find our greatest satisfaction and longing filled uh, by the springs of living water. Lord, teach us that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.